We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try. Hey, Jacob. Hi, Scott. How's it going, brother? It was funny just before we hit record, we looked at each other, took a long, deep breath and let it out. And then we're like, started laughing, like, what the yeah. hell is this going to be about today? <laughs> yeah, I think we're both going through whatever we're going through, Stuff. which we haven't talked about with each other. We decided to just talk about it now. So yeah, this is going straight into it. Well, first of all, how, how, how is your cabin treating you right now? The cabin is treating me beautifully. The state of North Carolina is treating me beautifully. Um, The nature here continues to treat me beautifully. Uh, And I've been, you know, this past week, balanced with spending time in nature and all that that I always talk about has been just a uh, kind of just a deep frustration with humanity Hmm. and with the seeming inability of human beings to to really get that love is the answer (laughs) and that if you're whatever it is you're stating however much truth there is in what you might be sharing however uh important it is that if you're not doing so from this this place of compassion and love for your fellow human beings it's it's just not going to create healing and mm-hmm. and i i mean i can be a little more specific with that it's like i i feel there there seems to be a really profound awareness happening uh, i think that blinders are coming off for a lot of people about the almost incomprehensible corruption that exists in our country, beyond our country, but I'll talk about our country and Mm -hmm. how that corruption has infiltrated politics, it's infiltrated the media, it's infiltrated corporate corporate America, it's infiltrated um, the pharmaceutical, it's everywhere. And it's in some ways it's not i'm looking at my relationship with this too because in some ways it's not new to me to think of all these things as being in many ways inherently corrupt right and not in not in every single case all the time but in general i feel like there's a through line of corruption and control in the powers that be in, in our country and world. And I think that the part of me that was aware of it was also in some ways just numb to it. Like, like, yeah, this is the world we live in. Like, what the fuck are we going to do about it? It's so, it's so ingrained in our culture on, on such high levels and to such a profound degree that this, it hasn't felt like, the fight I've wanted to fight. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's I like, do. it's truly going against, going up against a behemoth in the, the energy around it feels so disgusting. And, and so 
it still doesn't feel like the fight I want to fight. And I th- and at the same time, I feel like there's something really powerful happening mm-hmm. in our country. Like a lot, a lot more people are waking up to, to this ugliness, this corruption and not really willing to fall in line with it. And some, so what I'm seeing that is so, so that's something that excites me because I feel like there are people out there who, who are feeling called to be more vocal about it, feeling called to, um, wow, there's this amazing bird on the belt low, like a giant woodpecker with this red crown on the porch right now. I wish I could make it possible for you to see it. It's really cool. Anyway, so <laughs> that was yeah. a nice distraction. That was like, a, for me, I, that moment was like life, God reminding me, yes, everything you're saying is true. And look out the fucking window. There's this beautiful woodpecker on your porch and appreciate the <laughs> shit out of that moment. Do you know what I mean? Which is what I feel like I haven't been doing as much lately. So the other thing I want to say to it, and then I'll, I'll stop talking for a moment, is just what I'm seeing and feeling is a general excitement that that more of us are waking up to just how much bullshit exists and that we don't have to fall in line with all the bullshit that exists if we're not resonating with it and but what i'm seeing at the same time and again i'm going to focus on the the wellness spiritual types because that's more my my zone i guess uh, is that I'm seeing people who are are waking up to the fact that like we're all one and love is the answer and and yet and and the things they're sharing and the way they're sharing them and even if that's the messaging they're conveying it's it's within such a smug self-righteousness mm. and with such a a condemnation of everyone else who's not thinking what they're thinking or feeling what they're feeling, that it's just one more example of people. And they're even using the language of love and oneness and the energy coming through them is this self-satisfied judgment. And I think it's almost more frustrating for me because when I think about, I'll use Donald Trump as an example. When I think about someone like him, who is for me so clearly not rooted in compassion and love and the things that come through him, his words, his actions were for me so often monstrous and ugly, but not surprising because he never professed himself to be anything different. Right. So the disappoint, it wasn't that I was disappointed in him because I never expected more from him than he was offering, but with so it was always, I was always disgusted. Yes, but not like, yeah, what, what else do we expect? But with the people showing up now in, in the spiritual world or the wellness world, it's, it just feels much more deeply disappointing because the language they're using and what they're, they're supposedly about is love. And yet the messaging, it's not that, and I can feel it. It's so obvious. And it feels even more heartbreaking because I feel like at every turn, people don't get it. And I say that, that makes me sound smug and self-righteous and I don't mean to be. And, and well, let, let me, let me ask you this though. Yeah. What I'm feeling and hearing in what you're saying, Scott, in addition to just a lot of reflection on the way these things feel, 
I'm hearing you say, I'm feeling more and more alone in truly trying to follow. Am I hearing some loneliness, some sense of isolation? You're hearing that deeply. Yeah. You're hearing, and that's, I've, I feel like I've been checking out a bit lately because I look around and I feel like I don't connect to any of this. Mm-hmm. I don't connect to the people I'm supposed, and I have dear friends, like I feel connected to you. I have dear friends in my life I feel connected to. Yeah. And at the same time, you're, you're spot on. It's like, even even this, which is the thing that I should connect to the most, I like, I don't connect to it. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. So you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Well, and let's, let's just pretend that you and I get to do this every week. And, um, in some way where we are a reflection and an expression of a lot of people who probably feel the same way, you know, mm-hmm really, really want to see the world shift into, I don't know, a purer, gentler, more loving, more sustainable. When I use the word sustainable too, I, such a buzzword, but when I say that, it's not just about, you know, take taking your reusable grocery bags to the store or not using plastic straws. That's, you know, that's just part of it. When I'm talking about sustainable, I'm talking about a balanced system that is a um, what's the word? A benevolent cycle. Um, I don't know if that's the right word phrase for it, but basically it feeds itself in a way that if it kept going like, like that forever, it would, it would only get better. It would not, it would not break down and fall apart. Um, so that means social connection. It means everything. It means how we're treating each other, how we're treating ourselves. So I would just like to pretend that you and I in this conversation today are really expressing a very quiet voice out there that is in most people who really care and would really love to see something different, be different. And the frustration that you're feeling and the, and the loneliness, maybe just, just for today, we can pretend that we're helping some people feel a little bit less alone out there going, okay, okay, here are some guys who get on the podcast and they, you know, they have a voice, they're putting it out there and they're actually, they're actually willing to say that they feel these things. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I know I'm not alone in this feeling. I know I'm not alone as someone who is, is longing for more love in the world and disappointed by, by what we're seeing and it's, I think what feels, what can feel so heavy about it is feeling, well, you know what, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I will say this, and not to sugarcoat anything I'm saying, because the feeling I do have about it, it is a heaviness and it is a heavy frustration. But when, it, when I'm tuning into myself, it's like, all it does for me is, well, one of the things it does is it roots me even more deeply in what what I believe is my deepest knowing that it love is the answer. You know, so I, I get frustrated, I feel isolated, I feel like I can't connect to anyone or anything I'm seeing. And then I check in with my inner being and it's like, honey, love is the <laughs> love it like let this be a reason to connect with me more deeply. This is my inner being talking. 
let this be a reason to connect to God more deeply because that is your most important relationship. That is the thing that will always sustain you. And let it be a reminder, your your dissatisfaction with what you're seeing is rooted in your understanding of the power of love. So if anything, what's being exposed to you again, not that you need it, but maybe you do, and maybe that's why you're seeing this so profoundly, is that for you to be in harmony with yourself in this world, you have to stay centered in love no matter what you're seeing. No matter how many people you admire whom you're seeing show up differently, like that is not your path. That is not your journey in this lifetime. That is not how you will feel whole. And that's the gift. That is is one of the gifts of this. It does. It's sometimes when we we see the contrast and we're reminded what is most important to us by seeing that contrast, you know? Yeah, I do know. And, you know, I think it's, it's so seductive um, to begin to try to make a change, you know, see a change desperately needed in the world. And then the way that the way that media works, that social media works, that our modern world works, we see people rise because they're being hateful or because they're using the tools of manipulation. We see people rise and they become prominent voices. And for a while we watch them, you know, espousing things that says, well, that's, that looks like change. That looks like the direction we need to go. Okay. That feels really harsh to me, but it's, it's bold, it's loud, it's getting out there. Maybe that's a good thing. And I think that people then, it's really easy on social media, for example, to begin using that kind of tone, let's say on a Facebook post or you know, Twitter or somewhere, begin using that kind of a tone because it's like, okay, yeah, see, they're doing it. I'm following their example. They're fighting against the, the evils, the corruption, the way this feels. And What's interesting, though, and it re- when you were talking at the very beginning, it reminded me of this Nietzsche bit where he says, beware that when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become a monster. Yep. And oh, yeah. right. I mean, Scott, when when I was about 12 years ago, I was going through this big identity crisis and shift and all that for myself. And we've talked about that before on one of these episodes, but I'm reminded of that. And, you know, I, I set about to write this book, the divine arsonist, and it was such a deep, cathartic, powerful experience of expressing, going through this identity crisis and letting go of letting go of the world that I had created, the world that I had participated in. And when I started writing the book, I had a lot of fire in me about things need to change. And I want this book to be part of that voice of burn everything down. And it was interesting. By the time I finished the book, at the very end, it was a, you know, autobiographical fiction. But at the very end, the main characters, helpers showed back up and they were sending him back to the world after this long journey. And they, he asked them like, what's my, what's my mission here? You know, what, what do I do about the world? And, and they, they counseled him and said, don't go out and try to start a crusade. You'll be tempted to, you'll want to start a great crusade. But they said, crusaders always get killed 
or and or they always hurt a lot of people along the way when they're trying to do these great crusades. And he said, that's okay, but then what do I do? And he said, they said, just, it's very simple. Learn how to love. Mm -hmm. Go back to the world, like take every step with, with honesty and courage. With every, like every breath, take that step in love and in honesty. And that's how you change the world. And that was such a profound realization for me when I was writing that book and finishing it up. Um, because I was living that I was living the cycle of letting go of and trying to figure out how do I come back into this world? How do I re-engage and remain with this realization, with the change that's happened in me? Um, and I loved, I loved, however, it came through that process of writing. It was a reflection of the process I had come through and, and one that I continue to go through of being reminded that the only real change I can make is how I take the next step. Yeah. It's beautifully put brother. And, uh, yeah, it's challenging life. I'm, I've been feeling, um, challenged <laughs> and like things are changing so quickly, not just in our world, but within me, mm. you know, in, in, how would you describe those things that are changing in you? My, you know, I've started two different books that then it's, then I'm like, no, I don't feel like writing about this anymore. And mm. then, you know, since I did the first one, I'm like, I don't feel connected to this, started another one. I don't feel connected to this either. It's like, I feel like I'm in that there's something exciting about that. I feel like I'm in this place where I'm shedding a lot mm -hmm. in a way. And, and what holds true through all of it is my connection to love mm -hmm. and my belief in love. Like that is consistent, which I, I appreciate and love that fact that the, what has been the most consistent thing for me for two and a half decades now continues to be no matter what changes I go through. It's still a call to stay centered in love, be as loving as you can be like that. That's the root, you know, um, and at the same time, feeling an excitement about really not knowing how my life is unfolding right now and feeling an openness to that, hmm. but also knowing like I'm not, I, I just feel like I'm, I don't know how to say it, moving through, I was going to say ways of being, which isn't exactly accurate, just, and I, I feel like I'm very open right now. I'm taking in a lot. I'm feeling a lot. I'm thinking about a lot and energetically just shifting a lot. So I feel very fluid. It's almost like there, you know, this river that I go to every day that I, I've talked about and taken photos of and shared. There's, I focus on the water so often because they're like really heavy currents. And I focus on the rocks because they're these beautiful rocks. And they're very different energies. The rocks are so solid. They're just in their place. And their message is like, I'm here. I figured it out. I'm strong. You just work around me because I'm not budging. Right. And the the water is just flowing constantly. Like I'm in constant motion. I'll figure my way. I'll figure my way. I don't, I'm just going, going, going. And I feel energetically much more like the water now. I don't feel really rooted or really grounded. I feel like I'm just moving and flowing and I don't really know where I'm going. 
but not in a bad way. But it, it, it's like the idea of locking into some sort of project or some sort of offering right now feels almost impossible because I feel like in a week, I don't know where my energy is going to be if I'm even going to want to still talk about the things that I'm talking about today. Do you know what I mean? It just feels like this hyper, mm. um, hyper speed thing going on right now, um, which feels a little destabilizing, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like there's a good part of it because it's like, it's exciting and like, where am, what am I going to be thinking about today? And then a destabilizing part of it because it's like, Okay. Like I'm okay. I'm, I'm someone who's pretty good about not having plans and has lived my life without many plans this past year and a half. And I'm really in that in an extreme way right now, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. And I appreciate the fact that you, uh, admitted to this, the feeling of instability because, you know, I think that well, I don't think this someone, someone smart wrote it, a psychologist, one of the deepest needs of the human psyche is to remain consistent with its own identity, which means that we seek certainty in the world. We've talked about that many times on this show already. We seek certainty in the world. We seek certainty of our beliefs and our outlook. But when it comes right down to the core, it's who am I? Why am I here? You know, how shall I live? Those three big questions. And going through a a sort of a portal or a crossroads of big change is terrifying um, because there's nothing to grab onto and said, this is who I am. This is the work that I do. This is how I get paid. You know, those, those kinds of things create a sets, you know, when I'm counseling with people, sometimes, you know, if someone shows up in a state of real distress, you know, uncertainty, anxiety, all those things. And, and sometimes the depression or other symptoms that come from that, um, we'll talk about their life and, and I'll, I'll use the example of a table. So if you have a table with four legs and you, that requires no energy to hold that table steady, it's steady, like the rock in the river, it's steady. You pull one of those legs out and it, it'll still stand. You might have to put your hand on it to hold it steady. If you pull two out, now you're, now you're exerting effort to keep it level. If you pull three of the legs out, now it's a full-time effort to keep it steady. Um, and so when I'm examining this with someone, a lot of times we'll look at what parts of your life. You're, so if you have a relationship that's steady, if you have a job that's steady, if you have a belief system or a you know, outlook on life that feels steady, you know, these things or your physical body, you know, it feels okay. You're doing well. Everything feels steady. You start pulling those out and all of a sudden it just, it just, um, gives rise to this overall sense of distress. And by the way, that's incredibly normal, which is not what I'm saying about you. I'm just saying that if if anyone is sort of resonating with the sense of instability or, anxiety about what's next. What do I do? How, why can't I latch onto anything? Why can't I just sit, settle down and do this thing? Understand that we are all experiencing an enormous amount of change right now. I was chatting with a friend last night, um, who is a, a very smart real estate guy. And we were talking about the rate of change and he was pointing out, and we were talking about business and real estate and that sort of thing. But he was pointing out that when we were younger, he's a little older than you or I are, Scott, but when we were younger and when our parents and grandparents were young, 
there'd be these cycles that might be 30 or 40 year cycles. And then when we were children, they sped up to around 20 to 25 year cycles, economically speaking. So you'd have a gradual rise that would peak and then there might be some sort of a bust of some kind and it would slide back down. It it was more gradual. He was saying those peaks and valleys now are really compressed economically. And I think those peaks and valleys are compressed economically, politically, socially, in just about every way right now, which means there's not as much time to assimilate. It's kind of like a roller coaster that has really extreme ups and downs. You know, if you're on a roller coaster, it just kind of glides along, goes up and down a little bit. It's no big deal. You get one that turns you upside down and plunges 300 feet and then back up 200 and then back down. You're going, your body is going to try to absorb those G forces. And it's, that's why it's thrilling and exciting for crazy people who love, love that sort of thing. I don't, but, uh, but I think if we can, all of us take a deep breath for a moment and step back from the roller coaster and realize we are on a crazy roller coaster right now, which challenges us more deeply on a psychological and physical and emotional level than, than many of us can possibly acknowledge. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, though, Jacob, it's when I tune into those core questions you asked, like the, who am I and why am I here? I don't, I don't, I I rarely struggle with those answers anymore because for me, again, it's like, I'm here to love. And it's when I lose touch with that, when I get sucked into the roller coaster that is this world and the roller coaster that is humanity, that's when I feel like I am destabilized. Mm -hmm. It's not when, when I'm in touch with who I am and why I'm here without needing it to look a specific way. I guess that's to clarify like, okay, I'm here to love. What does that mean? Right. How does that have to look? I don't know. It can look many different ways. You know, the how isn't really as important to me as the why. And so when I'm connected to my why, I feel like entrusting in that why, you know, I feel like the the how identifies itself, like things do unfold. And the more open I stay, the more trusting I am, the more available I am to my life unfolding in different ways, the more it will happen. But to what you're saying, it, it's, it is a profoundly difficult time for, I think, all of us right now to hold true to that, even if we're clear about it, when humanity is insane. <laughs> like, like human beings are fucking insane. And that is the, the, and I am, I include myself, I put all of us in there, you know, to varying degrees. Um, it's, and I'm also, yeah, go ahead. What do you want to say? Well, I was just going to say, we are the only creatures that we're aware of on the planet who tell stories about the past and the future. Yeah. Our, yes. our brains, our brains tell stories. We look yeah. to the past and grab memories and project those onto the present and future. And that we try to inform ourselves about what's coming next by these stories we tell and all other creatures, as far as we know, don't have the capacity to um, make up imaginary stories. They just respond to the stimulus that's that's existing right now. And they have instincts that are <clears throat> born, you know, over the course of, you know, evolution or development, however we call that, uh, you know, that the, the, the do drive them to fly south in the winter and, and 
various things like swim upstream and all those things. So it's not as if they're not, you know, responding to instincts. But I think that when you layer the human brain on top of our, you know, as Mary Oliver would say, our soft animal bodies, um, we are then responding to or reacting to instinct plus the stories we tell about the entire world. Yeah. That, I mean, that's one of my daily appreciations right now to nature when I'm sitting at the river is just thank you for showing me in every moment how to just flow with what is, to just be with what is, to not be in resistance to what is. For me, that's one of the deepest messages of the natural world. And just to be in it and to experience it and to feel it, like there's just, there's never, there's no resistance there's just an allowance for what is and a response in the moment to what is. Mm -hmm. And that's a powerful thing for me, uh, for all of us, if you so choose to come back to, I think, because it's like you said, we're usually living in the past or living in the future. And typically we're living in both those places in ways that create regret or worry or fear. So we're not living in those spaces in a way that is amplifying our joy. Typically, it's amplifying the things that aren't necessarily serving us. Yeah. Well, and I'd like to go back to those three big questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And then how shall I live? And I remember several years ago, it must have been four or five now, um, I had this, I was struggling with tremendous um, lack of energy in my physical body. I was not feeling well at all. And I had just come back from Sedona, from the gathering of shamans. And I had been, you know, one of the teachers and had a wonderful experience, but I came back and was just sick, man, just really sick. And so I started, you know, trying things. I tried the whole 30 diet. I ran into a friend of mine who's older than me. And he was, you know, he's just such a ball of energy. And I, and we were having coffee. And I said, all right, man, David, tell me what's your secret. Like you are so vital and you're, you know, almost 10 years older than me. What's, what's your secret. And he rattled off a few things and he said, okay. Um, but also you need to go see April Crowell. She's my, um, Asian medical practitioner. <clears throat> and, uh, she, she really helps me. And I said, okay. So I was kind of desperate. So I booked an appointment with her here in Boise. And she is just, you know, she's a Caucasian lady and just, you know, amazing, but she's practiced Asian med medicine um, techniques for 25 or 30 years. And she got me on her table and started, you know, testing my pulses. And um, she put her hand on my chest and then she said, oh, you, you hold on to things quite a bit, don't you? You're carrying a lot of grief. And all of a sudden I just had tears running down the side of my face, pulling up my ears. I said, how did, like, how did you know that? I wasn't thinking that, you know, she didn't know me at all before I showed up. And she said, oh, your body tells me. But as she was working on me that day and making recommendations, um, she asked, she said, you know, I'd like you to go home and start maybe to use your journal or something and start asking these three questions. And she asked those three questions. Who am I? Why am I here? How shall I live? And I laughed out loud, Scott. I said, April, those questions like verbatim have been the last 10 years of my life. Like not, not some other sort of questions like those ones. And she stopped me and said, listen, 
you've maybe you've been spending more time in sort of the existential or spiritual exploration of those questions. I want you to ask those questions right now today. And she said, it usually helps me if I bring them all the way to the ground. Who am I today? Not this great boundless spirit with infinite possibilities, but who, who, how am I standing on the ground today? Who am I? And she said, here's some examples. She said, if I were doing this right now, I might write down, I'm a 45 year old white woman living in Boise, Idaho, and I'm married to a wonderful man. And I have a daughter who is just about ready to graduate from high school. And I do this work with people. And she said, sometimes we get so caught in the existential or the vastness of a question like, who am I? We forget to ask. She said, you, for example, might need to accept the fact that you're a guy in his mid forties. You're not 25. So you can't just push the button physically and have your adrenal system react and, you know, run for miles or lift these weights or do all these things that your head is telling you you're supposed to do. Um, she's like, what I'm talking about here is partly acceptance. Who am I today? And she said, and why am I here today? She said, sometimes your purpose sounds like such a big question. Look around your life and ask yourself, what roles and responsibilities do you have today? Which ones of those would you let go of? Which ones of those are outdated? Which ones of those do you treasure and, and actually want to show up more presently for? And she said those, that exploration will oftentimes then begin to inform the third question of how shall I live? And Scott, that was such a, an important experience with her. And it took me some years to kind of metabolize it. But when I looked around my life and put my feet on the ground, at that time, I had three kids who were at various stages of high school and they needed me. Um, that was a role and those were responsibilities I was not about to walk away from. Um, I was in the middle of writing another book and I wanted to write that book. And, but there were a bunch of things when I looked around my life, there was a bunch of sort of invisible clutter that was weighing me down. And when, when I began to slowly clean that clutter up, when it came to those three questions, who am I today? Why am I here today? How shall I live today? I was actually surprised by how practical those, because those are questions the philosophers and spiritual masters have been asking and trying to answer for as long as humanity has been thinking about such things. Yeah. I'm so glad you bring that up in the way you're bringing it up because, because for people listening who can't, who don't feel like they have answers to those questions, um, you're making it very practical you know, because I, I think it's easy. And I think the idea with the question, who am I? I love doing it. Who am I today? And, and doing it through a practical lens. And sometimes for me, I've found that if I've struggled with that question, getting clear about who am I not is really helpful mm -hmm. because sometimes it's much easier to reflect on who we are not and get clear about that and start eliminating those things because our conditioning our conditioning tells us we are someone more often than not that we aren't. You know, our conditioning from the time we're very little, this conditioning that we've internalized for years and a lifetime, um, when we can start bringing awareness to the, to the ways in which we've been conditioned to show up and start eliminating the things that don't really resonate, and that, that process so often begins with asking questions, with asking these questions. 
And I think so often people are feel they don't have the answers to questions that they haven't even really begun asking themselves, mm-hmm. right? It feels overwhelming, but it's less overwhelming when you actually start asking yourself these important questions and reflecting on the answers and do it the way Jacob recommended. Who am I today? And make it very practical if you need to. And, and even just that can help you eliminate the choices that you might otherwise have made as you go through your day that don't align with the answer to those questions. You know, I think it, we have to be willing to ask ourselves, well, we don't have to be willing to do anything if you feel called to, but it's like, <laughs> it, I, I believe it's important to be willing to ask ourselves the difficult questions, the kinds of questions that, that push us forward in deeper alignment with who we really are. And then at the same time, have the courageousness to receive the honest answers because it's very easy to keep pretending. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to keep in line with your conditioning. It's very easy to stay in the comfort zone of what you've known to be, even if what you've known to be doesn't accurately reflect the truth of who you are. And only when we start to be more courageous in our willingness to answer honestly and courageous in our willingness to follow up those answers with actions that speak honestly to who we are. This is, this is I feel, how we really move forward beautifully and change our lives powerfully. And it's a lifelong process. Don't you, do you feel? I mean, it's like the answers change, change or don't. Some of them do, some of them don't. We're in different places, you know, and... It's the willingness, I think, that really, really keeps us moving forward. I don't know. Wow, we've really gotten into a much deeper place than I thought we would today. I mean, I'm not, it's kind of like I'm not surprised. Uh, I guess I'm sometimes amazed by where these things go, but I feel like this is, this is where the rubber meets the road on love, Scott, because sometimes people, I think most of us probably have the connotation of love is it's beautiful and it's nurturing and nourishing and it's, um, it's comfortable. It's, you know, it's, it's all the good things that we want. It's safe. It's, uh, you know, but I feel like love is sort of like the word God. It's freighted with so many stories and so many connotations that, sometimes we need to break it down or put some there to me, the word love, if you were to start making words around it, like synonyms, it would be this really large constellation of words. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, courage, you just said that honesty, having the honesty to wake up in the middle of your life and ask these questions. Um, who am I not? Who, do, who don't I want to be and look around and say, okay, I've been conforming to these ideas of who I was supposed to be. I don't want to be that person. Well, when the people around you for a lifetime have known you to be this kind of person and your exploration, one's exploration leads you to go, that's not who I really am. I want to be the real me, but I've spent a lifetime living sort of hunched over and contorted walking through the house of my life with barely enough room to move around or breathe 
because I've been creating an identity, a life, a person, a personality based on who I thought I was supposed to be. I don't want to be those things anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, but love would say, I need to keep doing this because everyone is comfortable with who they think I am. Well, that's not love anymore. So love, love to me means the intense, alive process of transformation, of becoming who we really are. That's part of it. It's not all of love, but that's one expression of love is to say, no, I, I am willing to step away from slowly, gently, <laughs> in, in whatever way I need to, I'm willing to step away from these habitual ways of being this identity I've always seen myself as and other people have grown addicted to me behaving in these ways because that's not who I am. So I love that you brought up that counter side of the question, who am I? Who am I not? Why am I here? Why am I not here? I'm not here to do it this way anymore. And love means the courage to actually begin making those changes. Yeah, I mean, that's a profound example of self-love. Yeah. And with that, for me, love is also holding your compassion for the people in your life, no matter how they react to your changes, mm-hmm. right? Like holding holding yourself in a compassionate way towards everyone. That's that's what I keep I keep returning to in my own life when I'm getting frustrated with what I'm seeing in the people. It's like, I keep asking myself, like, how, like, like reflect on these people through the eyes of God. I'm getting, it's funny. I never used to use the word God (laughs) and I'm becoming more comfortable using God, you Mm. know, and I use it interchangeably as with source and, or love in often cases. But it's like, I, I feel if I am not holding space for every human being on this planet in the way that God, source, the divine would hold space for every human being on this planet, I am out of alignment with who I believe myself to be. And the truth is, Jacob, and this is where it's, it's, this is where I have trouble. This is where I'm incredibly self-righteous, I guess, in my beliefs is that I believe we are all love. So it's hard for me to let go of this deep belief that beyond everything else going on for every human being on the planet, if they wipe away all the conditioning and all the fear and all the rage and all the whatever else, all the stories, they're going to they're gonna find love at, as their base note. And so it's hard for me to stay open to another way of looking at humanity, mm-hmm. which like it, I, I'm not really open to someone arguing that no, at our core, we're really fear or at our core, we're really hate. I just don't, I don't believe it. And so I think that's what stokes my immense frustration mm-hmm. with human beings and my immense frustration with myself when I catch myself not in alignment. And so like the hikes I've been taking lately, I spend the whole time hiking and thinking about how it is I would be talking to the people who are most frustrating. And it's like, I'm just watching myself try to prove myself right. Like I'm just living in my ego. It's just, it's, it's a, it's an insane thing to witness and, and very human. And 
it's like I'm doing the exact thing that I'm getting frustrated with the people doing, you know, and like I'll do it for two hours and finally bring myself back around. It's like, what is your inner being telling you right now about these people? It's like, just love them. You're here to be compassionate. You're not here to judge their journey. You're not here to judge the way they're showing up. You're here to be who you are in this reality. And you're here to be loving and let that be enough for you. You're not here to change the world. You're not here to change anyone's world. You're not here to change any fucking thing. You're here to be as loving as you can possibly be. And when that's enough for you, Mm. when you are able to be that way without feeling guilty that you're not doing enough or without feeling ashamed that you're not doing enough, then you will be free. Mm-hmm. That is your ticket to freedom. This is what I'm saying to myself. This is what my inner being is, my inner knowing is telling me. And so the the, the frustration I've been living with, I keep saying it's because of it, humanity's insane and whatever, and that, that's all true, but that's not why that frustration is alive. That frustration is alive within me because I am disconnected from my truth. Like I am getting lost in the spin out of my ego mind that's needing to change other people and change our world and make something right according to my view of what's right instead of just staying centered in what I know to be true. What I know in my knowing to be true for myself, mm-hmm. right? But it's wild how hard it can be to stay to stay centered in that, and yet that that for me is the journey of this lifetime. For all of us, should we choose it to be, is coming back to those questions that Jacob is inviting us to ask for ourselves, and then as much as possible, bring ourselves into alignment with the answers. And for me, this is how we create peace for ourselves. And that's the, the only thing we have control over is, is what we create for ourselves and for our experience in this lifetime. It just so happens that by creating more peace and love for ourselves, we naturally exude that in the world and we naturally transfer those energies and have a better chance of impacting others with those energies. That's just the gift of it. But that's not what we're responsible for, you know? We're responsible for our relationship with ourselves. I love you that you're talking about the dissonance, you know, the cognitive dissonance of holding these two ideas at the same time and of your experience with it. Scott, you know, walking through the woods, having these really high level reminders and rememberings of this is who I really am. This world, if I zoom out way, way, way out, it's this tiny blue and green rock and the sort of the back 40 acres of a vast galaxy that's part of many other galaxies. And these things that we're so tangled up in are really trivial. Um, the light from that, the light from that um, star that I'm seeing traveled to me through so many thousands of years that that star might not even still be there, that kind of thing. But then also coming back down to, you know, arguing with that, these people (laughs) in your head, you know, going, yeah, but they're still. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Yeah, but. (laughs) What about you, brother? Like, how are you doing? 
Well, I'm sitting here looking for um, something from uh, Anais Nin. Um, while I'm listening and thinking, um, <clears throat> you know what what you were saying a minute ago, and this process of of saying I can only I can really only live this one life. I can only live this one next step. And how can I how can I make my world more loving? Um, how can I cha- make the changes that I need to make? while still holding compassion and still hoping the world, you know, changes, uh, you know, grows, becomes more loving and all that. And I'm just taken back to this bit from Annie's Nan. And she said, because sometimes that feels so selfish, Scott, like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to put myself in a little love bubble. I'm going to make my house the way I want it. I'm going to treat myself well. I'm going to treat those, you know, in my immediate arms reach. Well, we're going to grow and learn and love together but that feels like like a grain of sand in this huge desert of chaos and fear and corruption and things you talked about earlier. Like, how is that possibly enough? Like how that feels very selfish. Why shouldn't I pour my life out in the quest to make this world better, <clears throat> you know, and maybe die on a cross or something because of that quest. But I, I've really loved this from, from Nin. She says, when you make a world tolerable for yourself, you make a world more tolerable for others. And I think remembering that, that process, asking those questions, beginning to live them out in, in life, in the next step, which is the only step I can take. I can't take the step five years from now or when the world's better or different or anything, I can only take this next step. Remembering that that next step, the, the love, the courage, the honesty with which I take the next step, that is the medicine. That's the only medicine I can take. (laughs) It's the only medicine I can offer. And that there's such diversity in our world that as people are taking that medicine, the things that they're going to feel called to do are wholly different than the things others are going to feel called to do right? It's like some some person out there who gets in deep touch with who they really are and what their deepest call is and, and what their heart is, is pushing them to do. It might start a, a nonprofit that is going out to serve the homeless community in this, in this part of the country or world. You know, another person might find that they want to teach Another person might find that they just want to go into a cabin in the woods and they have, you know, enough in their savings account to just live off the land and and hunt for their food or whatever it is. It's like we're all going to be called to very different places based on the, the answers that we uncover, right? And I think that there, but for me, the essence of what you just read is, is, is really trusting that it is enough. Mm-hmm. It is enough. There's nothing that's more enough than people waking up to what is most true for them in their reality, in this reality, and acting in alignment with it. Mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, even though, like you, my mind wants to tell me it's not. It's not enough. It's a cop out. What you're saying, 
love isn't enough. I think I said this to you before, and I'll, but I'll say it again. For people who think love isn't enough, it's like if everyone on the planet tuned to love right now for a minute, our whole planet changes in a minute. There is nothing else there, there's nothing else that can create the healing that that energy can create, mm-hmm. right? So if I'll never believe love isn't enough, it's just we don't have enough people <laughs> believing love is enough. You know, if we had enough people who are operating from that place, everything changes in an instant. Yeah, and um, yeah, I just need to 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 remember that for myself when my mind's like. You should be doing more. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I mean, and we, you know, we're sitting here in safe space with each other. We're laughing, you know, because it sounds ridiculous. But, you know, later this afternoon, I know that I'll run through a bubble of thought or feeling that will feel distressing and it won't be funny. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. it will it will feel that way. And I think that having these reminders uh, that... the real essence of that this isn't enough like being love in this next step having courage and honesty in this next step or this next breath or word that's not enough the deeper suspicion or fear is that i am not enough Mm. i'm not enough for this life i'm not enough i'm not enough for the people around me i'm not enough for this world i'm not enough And to me, Scott, that's one of the deepest lies. It's right up there mm-hmm. with original sin for me that we're broken, mm-hmm. that we're born mm-hmm. broken. And I feel like sort of reflecting on something you said earlier, it's a lifelong process. Yeah. Remembering that our essence is love. Our essence is enough. Mm-hmm. Our essence isn't broken, doesn't need to be saved. Um, and that's why I come back to a daily practice. You know, you're, you're walking out by the river and you're practicing when you sit there and look at the rocks and look at the water rushing through and breathing, you're practicing. You have other practices I know, and so do I, and we've talked about them before. I think that the idea that we can have a sudden realization, maybe kind of like the enlightenment group you were part of when you were younger and some that I've been part of, you can have a sudden Satori moment where everything becomes clear and everything is forever changed. That idea is actually arguing with reality as Byron Katie would say, and that's can only bring pain. The idea that I will attain a moment at which everything changes, where everything is realized and where I can walk through this world or float through this world in some, you know, really, complete and perfect way with every single action that argues with reality. And it also puts the barrier. It puts it way out there on the horizon. I'm never going to get there because look today, I just had this thought that would, or I had this terrible feeling, or I had this really horrible fight in my head with this person who I don't have the courage to go talk to honestly about it. Um, So I'm, so I'm not there yet and I won't get there. And that's why I feel like, that moment by the river or for me last week up in the mountains sitting on a log in the sunshine by the beautiful redfish lake that is so pure it's just unsullied i like 
would be happy to get down on my hands and knees and drink out of it. Like, you know, it's that clean. Um, and then to come back down into the valley here in, in Boise, and it's such a beautiful town and it's springtime here. And, uh, but it's also had 120,000 more people move here in the last two years, Scott. And wow. before that, for several years, about 40,000 per year. So this little town that was such an idyllic place for me um, is feeling energetically like crowded and a little bit hard for me to be in right now. And that's a little distressing. You asked how I'm, how I'm doing, like I'm taking this pause in my work life right now, which is also difficult. Like I find myself right now simply weirdly, terrifyingly unable to open my email box more than like twice a week. And it takes a lot of effort. I'm, later today, I plan on looking at my email. <laughs> um, it takes a lot of effort. And I find myself sleeping pretty well at night and waking up and feeding the cats and then like feeling tired and crawling back in bed and sleeping for another hour. And the parts of my brain's my brain that are so conditioned to my psyche, it's not just this you know ball of meat in my head that's the problem. It's no, it's a psyche. It's a you know part, the parts of me that have been conditioned to productivity, to mm -hmm. performative things. Like here, this is why I'm worthy because I just wrote this book, or I just created this class, or I just had these sessions, or I just did this talk, whatever it might be. Um, or I just answered these emails, um, yeah. you know, that those parts of me, it's been interesting to have this knowing that right now for me is a time to let the water truly clear. And I'm sitting here talking about it in nice, even tones, you know, probably looking kind of sane more or less through the camera, but I don't sometimes feel that way right now, Scott, it's really been interesting to really sit with myself and go for today. It is enough for me to settle, to settle down, to let my innards settle and, and to begin asking these questions again. Who am I? Mm -hmm. Why am I yeah. here? How shall I live? Not cosmically, but today, right now. Because now my, when I, since I first heard that process of doing it for today, not in some existential sense, my life has changed. You know, I have one guy at home. The other two kids are out on their own doing great. And my guy at home's doing great. He was probably, you know, somewhere on the on the airstrip getting ready to take off on his own. Um, and so my responsibilities have changed. My identity is changing. Um, and so the inner guidance has been to slow down and stop and to understand that in holding this bowl, like the Tibetan monk holding the bowl in emptiness, there's creativity in the emptiness, but that sounds pretty, you know, it's like, oh yeah, there's a Tibetan monk sitting there under the shadow of the great mountains, holding a bowl and people put rice in it and he eats and he's very present. That sounds pretty. It doesn't feel pretty when you're in a world where it's like, what did, what did you do for me today? Mm -hmm. How are you showing up as worthy today? What have yeah. you been winning today? You know, yeah. so you asked how I'm doing. Yeah, that's how I'm doing right now is really not doing and um, and allowing the medicine of a lot more stillness, a lot more silence to enter me and to notice the parts of me that are really, really freaked out by that. Yeah, it's powerful what you're sharing, because for me, what I'm hearing, you're, you're speaking to how 
extraordinarily powerful and oppressive our conditioning is because mm-hmm. what i'm hearing you you're what i'm hearing from you is the conditioning around productivity yes and how ingrained that is in our being and you are actively right now taking steps to rest and not do and because you're so conditioned to the other extreme as most of us are it's stirring up all of this shit yeah right it's it's incredibly difficult to not do anything it's it's it doesn't make sense how difficult it is to not do anything and yet it yeah. it stirs up so much of the conditioning you're hardwired to produce but it's what but i i love it because i feel like i don't know if it feels this way to you but for me th- this is courage mm-hmm. personified this is you feeling all the uncomfortable feelings that all this conditioning is raising in you and still not checking your email and still going back after feeding the cats and taking a nap when all that wiring is like, how dare you take a nap after the cats and check your fucking emails and quit doing this and quit doing, you know what I mean? Like your mind is, I assume, constantly feeding you like, no, it's time now. Today's the day. This is the hour whatever. And you're like, but your your connection to your truth to your source is like no mm. i still need rest mm-hmm. i'm still doing this mm-hmm. right now you know and it it's a it feels like a battle it feels like a battle and and i think that mm. what if when i when i feel those things going on Sometimes I'm able to, often I'm not, often I'm in the battle, but sometimes I'm able to expand my perspective, Mm -hmm. right? And hold space for all of that story in a way that allows for peace. It's like I become the ocean instead of the glass or instead of the bowl where two fish are duking it out for control of the space, you know, one fish is like, do, do, do. The other fish is like, rest, rest, rest. <laughs> but then I remember like we're expansive beings, man. And when we remember that, we can intentionally expand our, our energy and our energetic capacity to hold both those fishes and become the ocean. And then both of those fish have room to roam and flow and neither one in any way defines us. They just are, you know? And so I guess... For listeners and for myself <laughs> and for you, Jacob, if you, if you, it's like just that, that when I remember my expansiveness, it always creates peace in whatever I'm experiencing. And when I forget how expansive I am, when I forget that the energy within me is the energy that created the galaxies that Jacob was referring to earlier, it's like when I remember that, it's like, oh my God, okay, all these stories, all this frustration, all this judgment, it's like there's plenty of room for it. Yeah. I'm a universe and these are just little twinkling stars, you know? Wow, I I, uh, I kind of feel like we're, you just put a, a beautiful end cap on it. I, I had a couple of things I was thinking about reading, but feel like... Uh, I don't think we've ever read the Desiderata here before, have we? I don't think so. No. Yeah. It's a little longer. Are you okay if I read a little bit of a longer piece? 100%. Yeah. All right. More than okay. All right. So this is Max Ehrman who wrote this. And uh, the original text was from 1927. I wonder 
how Max Airman would feel if he came back and rewrote this for today. I feel like probably the same things. He was sort of a prophet, like this is what we need for today. It's called the Desiderata. Go placidly amid the noise and the haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even to the dull and the ignorant. They too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexatious to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself, especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be, and whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace in your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. Oh, that was beautiful. I'd never heard that. Really? Yeah, it's beautiful. When it came to me the first time, I'm a little surprised I got through the the part about you're a child of the universe, like the trees and the stars, you have a right mm -hmm. to be here. When I first read that many years ago, Scott, I, I started sobbing. And almost every time since when I've read that part, it's very emotional. Like, yeah. Yeah. You have a right to be Just here. Just believing it, you know, yeah. believing it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. <laughs> Love you. Talk to you again next week. Okay. We don't need to it's up to you to choose how good it can get, how much love you can let into your life, into your heart, before your mind decides it's too much. It's up to you to choose. It's up to you to choose.